Good morning. Welcome to Rivermont today, and I invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke 24. We're going to be looking at verses 36 to 49 together today in our next to last sermon as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to study verses 36 through 43 more intently today and look at 44 to 49 next Sunday as we enter the first Sunday of Advent with the Ascension. We're we're coming into the beginning by looking at the end. And you might wonder, how in the world is that going to fit together? Come back next week and I'll show you how. We're going to look at verses 36 through 43 uh, closely today as Cleopas and Mary had walked the road to Emmaus and now they were back in Jerusalem having met the risen Lord Jesus along the way. And in His presence they were changed. Their hearts came alive to hope. Their hearts came alive to that eternal life that He offers to each one of us. And they returned to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what had happened. Jesus had also appeared to Peter. And they began to discuss all of these things that they'd seen, all that they'd heard. How Jesus taught them from the Scriptures about who He was and what He had done for them. How their hearts burned within them by the Spirit of God, opening their eyes and opening their hearts to the gospel. And as they were talking about Jesus, something unexpected happened. He showed up. Jesus appeared among them. He stood among them. And is it, to some degree, that's what we all pray for? As we talk about Jesus, as we hear about Jesus, we want Him to show up. But sometimes, He's frightening when He shows up, isn't He? Sometimes as He comes into our lives, He may come in unpredictable and even unwelcomed ways, and yet show up He does. What does the Lord Jesus do when He shows up with these disciples? Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that that same Spirit would come upon us. That our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be made alive to the truth you have for us this morning. Enable us to see and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. We ask it all in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe, but it is Thanksgiving week. 
And what would happen in your home if just before the meal on Thanksgiving Day that had been carefully planned and the food prepped and all the things put together, if the man of the house bebops in and says, hey, guess who's coming to dinner? I don't know about you, but it wouldn't go over very well in my house. Don't get me wrong. We love having people over. We love having you into our home for a meal. But on a big occasion like that, I don't know that Missy would appreciate me springing additional guests at the last moment. Well, in our study of the Gospel of Luke, we see in our text today that this group of disciples had gathered together and they were hearing the stories of Jesus appearing. Cleopas and Mary had been telling their tale in verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus appeared. He appeared to them. He appeared to them teaching them on the road and sharing a meal with them. And then as they told the other disciples about these things, Jesus appeared again. He came in that room. Look who's coming to dinner. It's the Lord Jesus. And as a wonderful guest, Jesus brought some things with him. It wasn't the food that he brought to the feast, but what he did bring was what was most necessary. He brought himself. He brought his own gifts of life. We're going to look at those in a moment. And sometimes Jesus does that in our lives too. Sometimes he he shows up. And He works in amazing ways, in powerful ways, in ways we love, and in ways we appreciate. And sometimes when Jesus shows up in our lives, He comes in ways we wish He hadn't, doesn't He? And yet He works. And into our lives He steps, into our lives He comes bringing good gifts. What does He bring? Well, first we see from this text that Jesus brings His peace. Now, if you're anything like me, it is easy to nod my head and say, yep, Jesus is at work. I'm so glad to see him at work in those people out there. And we can celebrate the mighty and wonderful ways that Jesus is bringing new life and change into other people. But all the head nods might become a little more difficult when he's bringing change into us, right? Sometimes it's a little more challenging. Sometimes it's frightening when we see that we need new life, when we need the change that Jesus brings, and yet it's difficult and sometimes it's painful, which is why we need His peace. While they were talking in verse 36, Jesus stood among them. What might they expect? As Brett mentioned a moment ago, they had abandoned Him. They had doubted Him. They had turned away from Him because... They knew he had died, and with his death, their hopes had been dashed. But now, Jesus stood among them, verse 37. And no surprise, it says they were startled and they were frightened. They didn't expect what had happened. They didn't expect to see Jesus raised from the dead. They didn't expect him to appear in that room that evening. What might he be there to do to them, they wondered. Sometimes Jesus is just unpredictable. He does things routinely in our lives that we don't expect. He shows up in ways we don't expect and says things that we don't expect. And sometimes it's scary, isn't it? We confess that God is sovereign. He's he's powerful. It means He rules. It means that He's in charge. He's king. We confess that He can do whatever He wants to do. And sometimes He uses that power in an unpredictable way, doesn't He? A wise person said to me once, we take great comfort in knowing that God is sovereign and He's powerful. But you know what another word for sovereign is, don't you? I said, no. He said, oppositional. Think about that for a moment. 
Another word for sovereign is oppositional. God is powerful. He's ruling and he's in charge. And often that in being in charge in that rule opposes us. He has to move against us. He has to work within us in order to make us different. He has to oppose what we want in order to bring about what he wants. He has to oppose our sense of ruling ourselves in order to bring his rule to bear in our lives. He has to oppose sometimes the desires of our hearts, the things that we want, so that he brings into our lives what he knows is best and what he wants for us. Sometimes that oppositional rule of God in our lives, it's unpredictable and it's scary. And one of the main reasons it's unpredictable and scary is, let's cut to the chase, God is out to kill us. It's the truth. God is out by His power to put to death the old sinful man in us. And in its place grow the new man, the holy man. He's out to put us to death in the old man and bring us to life in new ways. We talked about it briefly last week. Even good desires in our lives can become demands that we layer on other people. And when those demands aren't heeded in other people's hearts and lives, then we begin to judge them. And then we begin to punish them because they don't fulfill our desires. It's the path to idolatry. And each one of us are on it. Each one of us so easily get from my desire to punishing you because you don't make, you don't make it. You don't do what I want you to do. And the Lord has to change us. The Lord is the one who has to deal with that in our souls. And to do so, He becomes oppositional. He changes us. He must oppose us in order to free us from the grip and the tyranny of our sin. And that work that He does can be unpredictable and painful, but it is always for our good. Even if we can't recognize it in the moment. God appears in places in our lives that we may not be ready for Him to appear. And yet, thanks be to God, He does. He comes to us to bring us change. I wonder where God is being graciously oppositional in your life right now. Is He forcing you to see some limit in your own life? A limit in your abilities? Maybe there's a limit in what your body is able to do that it used to could be able to do things, but it can't anymore. Maybe He's bringing you to the end, bringing you to the limits of your abilities in your job and you feel, what am I going to do next? Perhaps He's opposing you in some other way and refusing to give you what you want. He does so, friends, because He loves you. And He knows what is best. It may be scary, but listen to how Jesus announces that powerful presence. Verse 36, peace to you. That's how He announces His reign and His rule in our lives. Peace to you. When He comes, we might fear His heavy hand, but He comes announcing peace and wholeness and restoration and reconciliation. All those ideas included in that beautiful word, peace. Were it you or I to come to this group, we might show up to the disciples and say, I'm really disappointed in you. Didn't you hear what I taught you? Didn't you understand? Didn't you know? Why did you abandon me like that? That's not how Jesus comes. He came announcing peace. He came proclaiming peace. Because three days earlier from the cross, He announced, It is finished. 
The peace offering has been made in full. He gave His life in exchange for ours that we might experience peace, that promise of wholeness, that promise of life. He doesn't come into our lives opposing us in order to harm us, but rather to heal. He doesn't... He doesn't refuse to give in to our desires because He's harsh, but because He knows what is best for us, even when we don't. He gave His life that we might have peace. And to prove that peace, look again at what He says in verse 39. See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see, He says. Now why do you think Jesus pointed out His hands and His feet? Why didn't He say, listen to my voice? Or... Look me in the eye. Look at my face. Why not? Why not ask them to notice these things that would have been very familiar to them? He pointed out his hands and his feet in order to show them his wounds. He pointed out his hands and his feet announcing peace in order to prove to them the cost of that peace that he now proclaimed and offered to those people and to you and to me. He comes to you and to me extending peace and showing us the wounds of His nail-pierced hands and feet. He proves His proclamation of peace. He proves His love by pointing us to His death in our place. He died to make us alive. When He comes into our life and appears in ways that may be unpredictable, we have no need to fear Him because He loves us. And to prove His love, He reminds us of His wounds in our place. You know, Jesus does this to you and to me. He steps into our places of fear and desperation. He comes into the parts of our lives where we experience loneliness and anxiety. He comes to the places where we are in the grip of some sin or some desire. And He comes in ways that are unexpected to do His work. It might appear and it might be painful. And the road that He calls us to walk may be challenging. But His work is a work of peace. Proven to us by His wounds. When Jesus shows up at the feast, He brings peace to you and to me. Also, when Jesus shows up, He brings us life. The hope of a resurrection life. And what an incredible hope it is. I can remember being a kid, thinking about heaven, you know, Life after death and wondering what it was going to be like. And frankly, it didn't seem all that much good news to me. I wasn't really interested in floating around on a cloud with angel wings and, or playing a harp or even being in an endless choir. I mean, I love choral music, but being in an eternal, endless choir without a body, that didn't seem like that's very good news to me. I wanted to be outside and run and jump and play and enjoy this creation. If that's you today and that idea of kind of a bodiless existence for all eternity doesn't sound like good news, Jesus has great news for you today. And the great news is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And going to heaven, is the resurrection is more than about going to heaven when we die. It's about a new heavens and a new earth promised to us. Jesus was raised from the dead and He promises that so shall we. We shall be given a new body in which to experience His new heavens and His new earth. He's making all things new. And He's going to give you a new body in which to enjoy it. He wasn't just a ghost floating around. He wasn't just a memory as if 
He lives on in our thoughts and our ideas. Their eyes weren't playing tricks on them. No, Jesus came out of the grave in a new body and He told those gathered disciples to touch Him, to prove it to Him. Touch and see, He says in verse 39. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. He asked for something to eat in verses 42 and 43. Jesus had a real body again. Touch it, He said. That word touch that he used is an earthy word. It means grasp. It means handle. It means grope. Jesus wanted them to touch him, to feel his body and see that it was he himself. Were they to greet him in the way that people usually greeted one another in the ancient world with a kiss on the cheek, they would have felt his whiskers. If they shook his hand, they would feel the bones. They would feel the knuckles in his hands. Jesus, the real Jesus, was alive. And He had a new body and He was standing right there in front of them. And friends, that's the hope for us too. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we be raised from the dead. Yes, our souls go to be with Jesus when we die, but that's not the final state. When He returns, He will give us a new body and a new heavens and new earth in which to enjoy that new body. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, that Jesus was raised as the firstfruits. Because of the joy and the certainty of Jesus' resurrection, you and I long for and can look for more of the same in us, just as He was. Just as Jesus was raised bodily from the dead, so shall we be. Yes, it's going to be a different body. Paul calls it a spiritual body, but a new body nonetheless. If Jesus' body in John 20, we see He could walk through walls. It's a little bit different from what you and I have today. It's a spiritual body, Paul says, built for a different kind of world. A world where heaven comes down and there's a new heavens and a new earth. The place where heaven and earth intersect. He's going to give us a new body designed for a new heavens and a new earth. We shall be made like Him. And the earth is going to be fit for it, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 38. It's a world no longer mired by sin and death. This world in our body is not going to wear out. It's not going to get the flu. We're not going to break a hip when we fall. We're not going to tear a ligament when we're running along on a sports field. We're not going to have any development of cancer. There won't be any evidence of a developmental disorder in anyone. Whatever pain or ailment you're battling today, that day it's going to be given up. Not because you're some spirit floating along on a cloud, but because Jesus will give you a new body in which there are no defects. And there never will be. He says in verse 49 of 1 Corinthians 15, Just as we now bear the image of the man of dust, then we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. We shall be made like Jesus in his own resurrection body. And when we hear that biblical teaching, we wonder at times, are we going to know each other? Will it still be some version of me? Will you be still some version of you? Will we recognize one another on that day? I think from this text we can say yes. We will recognize one another in the new heavens and new earth. 
Although Jesus' body was different enough that Cleopas, his uncle, didn't recognize him at first, how did Jesus come to them? He says, look, it is I myself. He intended for them to know him. He was Jesus. He was the one whom they had known. And he proved himself to be so. We've lost a lot of saints in our church over the past year. I was struck on All Saints Day looking at the bulletin. We lost 21 saints last year in our church to death. It's a lot. And in funeral after funeral, meeting with family after family, I heard the same question again and again. Will I know them? And will they know me when I see them again? I think we can say the answer is yes. We will know one another. But the better version of one another. When we look upon one another on that day, we will see one another as the persons whom we can only dream we could become today. Only ones that we would long for our friends or our family to develop into today. We will have an eternity to enjoy the blessings and enjoy the godly parts of one another without the sinful liabilities, the joys without the sorrows, the laughter without any shame. And we have eternity to enjoy that with one another in a new body, one that will never break, never wear out, and never get sick. C.S. Lewis wrote this in The Weight of Glory. He wrote, It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. The Lord is going to do incredible and mighty and powerful things when He returns that day and the dead are raised and He prepares a new heavens and a new earth for us and a new body in which we can enjoy it. What a day that's going to be. But we don't have to wait until that day. Because Jesus' work of bringing new life to us has already begun now. If you placed your faith and your trust in Him, His work of transformation is undergoing, is under being undergoing right now. The Spirit has regenerated our hearts. He is enabling us to believe. He's transforming our lives. Our character is being shaped to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. And one day... Our bodies will be renewed too. So let me challenge you this morning to keep your eyes looking forward, eager for the day of His return. I know that it is so easy right now to grow cynical and distressed in our world about the the chaos in our world and even the chaos within our own lives. But take another look at what Jesus is doing in you right now. Realize it may feel oppositional. As He's shaping you and molding you and breaking you and rebuilding you. So that one day you will be perfect, beautiful and complete. And yet He's doing that work. Rather than focusing on everything that's wrong, look with eyes to see what is He remaking? How, what is He rebuilding? How is He making me new right now? And friends, He's doing it in one another too. We challenge you not only look for the work of Jesus in your own life, But look for that same work in fellow believers too. Rather than rage at them or simmer on the inside that some person, a spouse, a friend, a child, isn't changing as fast as you would like to see them change, this Thanksgiving week, take a step back and offer thanks 
for what you recognize God is doing in them right now. The work that he has begun that he will bring to completion on the day of his return. Friends, we can be bitter or we can be thankful. So let's turn our hearts toward thanks for this immeasurable work that Jesus has begun within us and will bring to completion on the last day. Look who's coming to dinner. It's Jesus. He's alive and he's well and he promises, I'm making all things new. And we pray together, come Lord Jesus, come and come quickly. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do give you thanks that you have not left us as you found us. You love us too much to leave us as we have been. And you have begun the work of transformation within us. And for that, we give you great thanks. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus as he went to the cross for us. We thank you for the ongoing work that the Spirit does to remake us and mold us and shape us. We even thank you, Lord, in the ways that you oppose us in order to make us new and make us complete in you. We ask, Lord, that you would give us hearts to long for the day when you return and everything will be made new in the twinkle of an eye. We ask that you would give us a longing heart to see what you're doing in one another and celebrate it and give thanks for it rather than focusing on the ways that we continue to be broken and remain the people we don't want to be. Help us to see your work and long for your return to bring it to completion. Make us thankful people on this Thanksgiving week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.